The following is a continuation in our Covenant Theology series. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy. All right, tonight we are going to be going through the covenant that God made with David. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening, Lord. As we look at your king, King David, in the Old Testament, we ask that you would Bless us as we seek to understand what it means to serve a king and what it means to have a king. And ultimately that king is Jesus. And we ask that we would praise him and glorify him and give him the worth that he deserves because he is our king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you all ever read The Emperor's New Clothes? This is an old folk tale by Danish author Hans Christian Andersen. And it tells the story of this emperor who thought very highly of himself. All he cared about was his image. All he cared about was what people thought of him. And he was all about the clothing that he wore. So he would constantly be wearing these, you know, luxurious things. This emperor, again, has this fascination with clothing. He's obsessed with image. To take advantage of this, there's these two con men that showed up to his city and pretended to be weavers, uh, pretending that they could make him some special clothing. But what happened was... The emperor would send his servants to go check on the progress of these articles of clothing, and they didn't see anything on the looms. And the reason they didn't see anything was because there was nothing there. They were so scared of looking foolish to the emperor that they just assumed, well, we'll just go back and tell them that everything looks great. So they go back and they tell him it looks fantastic. And the emperor finally, he's like, I want to wear these new clothes. He shows up. And again, his subjects are so scared to tell him the truth that they just pretend and they go along with the ruse. So what does he do? He strips down and he puts on these new clothes and he sets up a parade to go throughout the town. And again, the town folk, the town people, they were also too scared to tell the emperor the truth. So they were, oh, look at his wonderful clothes. Until a small child broke the news that the emperor is naked. It's a folktale. It's meant to teach us a lesson. And that lesson is about pride and humility. In the end, the emperor, he thinks he's something and he's not. He thinks people are admiring him when, in fact, he just looks foolish. And the reason he looks foolish is because he was only thinking about himself. He was so prideful. So when we get to our content tonight, we get a king. We get probably the best example of a good king in the Old Testament. In the history of Israel, in the history of Judah, you can go and read First and Second Kings, you can go and read First and Second Chronicles. It's a hot mess because those kings are constantly making terrible decisions. They're constantly bringing people away from God. They're constantly seeking idols and worshiping idols. But we have a good king here. And this good king David is actually serving as just a small picture of the king that we have in Christ. So before we get there, I want to read 1 Samuel 8, 4 to 5. And this is before there were kings. The people go to Samuel and they desperately want someone to lead them. And this is what it says. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. They didn't know what they were getting themselves into because, again, they would get all these really, really bad kings. There were a few good ones sprinkled in there, but overall, 
it was just, like I said, it was a hot mess. So when we get to David, we get just a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of what it looks like to serve a good king. So tonight, here's what I want us to see. God's covenant with David is a small picture of Jesus' kingship over us. God's covenant with David is a small picture of Jesus' kingship over us. So, Luke, if you'll come up and read 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verses 1 through 11. Starting in verse 1. Now, when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. That same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Okay, so back in chapter 5, David is actually anointed as king. And here, in chapter 7, he is secure in his kingdom, living in his house and enjoying rest from his enemies, which the Lord had given to him. And what he's doing during this time of rest, he's actually reflecting. He's taking some time to step back and think on things. And one of the major things he's thinking about is he's thinking about how he is dwelling in this palace while the Ark of the Covenant, which was the symbol of God's presence, was still sitting in a tent. He's thinking about the optics of that. He's thinking about the reverence that is not being showed to that. And he desires to build the presence of God a temple, a house, a place to dwell. And this request is denied by God. Curiously, God tells him that his presence has always been in this tent with his people. And it's always traveled with them throughout all of their adventures. Verse 7, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, why have you not built a house of cedar? Now, David's actually pretty genuine in his request here. Like, he truly wants to honor God. He truly wants to uplift God's name, give God all the reverence and all that is owed to him. But God has a better plan. He doesn't want a house for the ark. That's not David's job. That's going to be his son's job. For David, his job is that he's going to be building a dynasty for David, like a kingship for David, a kingly line for David. So we see in verse 8 and 9, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from a pasture, from following sheep, that you would be prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you've went, and I've cut off all your enemies before you. What God is doing is he's actually reminding David of the promise that he made to Abraham, that he's building a people. And David is going to serve as a representative of that people. 
God has gone out, the ark and the presence, with everything that he's done. All of David's accomplishments, all the wars that he's fought, God has been with him every step of the way. His presence has been with him. David's position as king was given to him by God himself. If you remember how David was chosen, he was the least likely of his brothers to be chosen as king. But God chose him. God anointed him as king. And as God has continued to build up this people that we saw in the promise to Abraham, he's building this people and his kingdom on his earth, and he blesses David and blesses David's line, this dynasty that's going to endure forever. And throughout Israel's history, they have seen, and they're going to continue to see, that without a stable leader leading them, everything's going to fall apart. It's a common theme that we see. If you look throughout the entire Old Testament, every time there is just bad leadership, everything goes with it. That's important for us, because if you think about it, what are they doing when they see a bad leader? You can answer this. What are they doing? They're just following the bad leadership. They're following the bad example. They're listening to bad advice, bad counsel. So without a good king, without a good kingdom, we're going to fall apart. So what does this covenant mean for us? Caleb's going to come up and read 12 to 17 for us. And here's where we get the actual covenant. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So notice that this covenant with David, it's going to be fulfilled after David's gone. Think back to the covenant with Abraham. God made this promise to Abraham, and he was going to see part of that promise fulfilled. But the real thrust of that promise, the real recipients of that promise, would be those that would experience it much, much later. And here is kind of the same thing. He's promising this kingly line to David, but we're not going to see the fullest extent of this until we get to Christ himself, okay? He says, I will raise up your offspring after you, and who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. David uh, was a warrior. He endured many wars. He fought in many wars. He was a man of war. His son, Solomon, was known for being a peacekeeper. So what God is doing here is he's actually saying, I'm reserving this building of this temple for someone who is going to live in peace. So Solomon is the one that actually gets to build the temple, But it's all going to be through David's line. And there's this promise that's going to continue through David's line. When we get to Luke chapter 1, we're going to see just how this is fulfilled in Jesus. But there's this this promise that he's going to build this dynasty through David's line. So what this means for you and me, if we think about this covenant, what this means for you and me is that this covenant, as one writer says, it establishes a father-son relationship between God and his people, like a king and his subjects with us. He is our king, we are his people, and because he is a good king, because he is a faithful king, because he is perfect and wonderful in every way, we're following a good king. Unlike the Israelites, unlike the people of Judah who were following bad kings and paid the penalty for that because they made bad decisions, we get to follow a good king, and we get to grow in relationship with that good king. So the terms of this covenant are that the kings must be faithful to God. Now, 
as always, they're going to fail. A lot of them did. A lot of these kings did like atrocious, awful, awful things. God made it very clear. These are my expectations. And they just took that and just said, you know what? We're going to do the opposite. Okay. Some brought calf worship, like the golden calf worship back. Some worshiped all sorts of idols and fake gods. They're going to fail. But what God is saying is, again, with all of these covenants, and we've been saying this all semester, who bears the full brunt of the responsibilities of these covenants? God does. It's on God here. Okay. Yes, they are to be faithful. Yes, they are to hold fast to the truths of what God has been teaching them. But what he's saying is, I'm going to hold this line. I'm going to hold this kingly line. I'm going to preserve this kingly line. This kingdom is mine, is what he's saying through this covenant. He promises this enduring dynasty. And again, this means that the covenant falls on him, not on David. As good as David was, he still made quite a few mistakes. But God loved him, and God preserved him. He's not going to remove his commitment to David's line like he removed his commitment to Saul. This ultimate fulfillment of this promise is to redeem a people for himself. So I hope you see where we're going here. When we get to Jesus, that is the fulfillment of this. He is the king that is going to redeem a people for himself. This plan is going to happen. It is assured. So the culmination of this, I want want to work through all the covenants so we can see how we've been building to this point. The covenant of David is a culmination of everything that we've seen up to this point. In the covenant of redemption, God established redemption before the fall. He said, this is the plan. Plan A. The covenant works. God establishes a relationship with his creation and puts forth a standard of holiness for us. With the covenant of grace, because of the fall and our inability to be holy, God's redemption through grace comes through the one who would crush the head of the serpent. With Noah... God shows that the standard hasn't changed and sin will not go unpunished, but he's going to preserve his people. With Abraham, God preserves that people and makes them into a nation. With Moses, God shows his nation how they are to live in relationship with him and shows them how he's blessing them. And with David, God is establishing a kingdom on earth whose throne would eventually be filled by the one who would crush the head of the serpent. So I hope you see how all these are connected, how they're deeply, deeply connected. I want to close with this. So C.S. Lewis, in his biography, tells of the suffering that he endured and his friends endured because he fought in World War I and he saw some of his friends die. And he made a promise to a friend of his that he would care for his family if something were to happen to him. Now, that man would go on to die in that war. And Lewis wanted to fulfill that promise to his friend. So he assured him that if anything were to happen, he would take care of them. So as time dragged on... He was killed, and he tried to take care of this man's wife and kids. But the more he tried to do that, the more bitterness and anger that he experienced from this family. But holding fast to that promise, he said, yeah, I'm going to take some licks. They're going to say things that I don't like. They're going to be mad at me, but I'm going to keep pursuing these people. I'm going to keep loving these people. I'm going to provide and care for these people, even though they don't want me to. She was ungrateful, rude, arrogant, but Lewis kept forgiving her. He refused to let her actions become an excuse to go back on his promise. And when this promise is given to David, God is again reassuring to us that I'm not going to go back on my promise. I promise to build my people. I promise to preserve my people. I'm promising to lead my people. 
and give them a good, true king. God made this promise to David so many years ago, and he intends to keep this promise. And this dynasty is fulfilled in Christ. So turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 30 and 31. Caroline's going to come up and read that for us. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So remember that enduring kingdom that God promised David? Who does he attribute that to here? Jesus, right? Jesus is the one that promises to fulfill the throne of David. He came to establish God's kingdom here on this earth. And this promise is to fulfill the covenant of redemption that we saw before the fall. That he was going to come and preserve and redeem his people. That's the importance of this covenant for us. He is the great king. He would redeem us from our sin. That's what he came to do. It's what he promised to do. It's what he guaranteed would happen for us. And he is the great king that was promised. So God's covenant with David is just a small picture of Jesus' kingship over us. So we're going to spend some more time talking about that in our small groups, but let me pray for us and pray for the rest of our evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good king, King Jesus. We thank you that he is the good shepherd, that he is a perfect leader, one that we can trust, one that we can follow, one that we can imitate. As we seek to understand more about how he serves as our king, that you would bless us and watch over us, that you would continue to watch over us and preserve us, Lord. We thank you that that's the heart of your promise, that you would never let go. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful for you. Please keep an ear out for more audio upcoming from WIM.